joy to the world, unspeakable joy. How do we sing those kinds of words with authenticity when, quite frankly, there's heaviness all around us? In the month of December, we're talking about unexpected things. Joy to the world, a Christmas carol we love to sing. It's one of the most well-known of the Christmas carols, but I want to tell you something unexpected about that Christmas carol. Most Christmas carols, in fact, basically all of them, focus on the story of the nativity, which is the coming of Jesus. When he was born historically in the community of Bethlehem, more than 2,000 years ago. But joy to the world, unlike all the others, actually invites us not to look back in history, but rather to look forward to the future. Because joy to the world, that Christmas carol we love to sing, is actually based on the second coming of Christ. Originally, it was written by Isaac Watts in 1719, as a book of poems, in a book of poems. And so it was a poem that he wrote. And it's written based entirely on Psalm 98. And what we're going to find together is that Psalm 98 and this song that we have just sung, Joy to the World, is going to invite us into some very helpful stuff to address the heaviness that so many of us are feeling. I was just chatting with my daughter last night. She lives in the community of Stetler, and she said, with the further restrictions, there was just an additional weight of heaviness that she has sensed that's descended on their community. And so Joy to the World was never intended to be a Christmas song. And it was about 100 years after Isaac wrote this poem that a Boston music teacher came across it, a guy named Lowell Mason, and he discovered it and he decided to set it to music. And then he released this song during the Advent season, the time we're in right now, the Christmas season, and it became a favorite Christmas carol and song. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. We're going to see that from verse 6 in Psalm 98. Let every nation prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. You read about that in verses 7 and 8 of the psalm. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. We're going to see that in verse 9. And it's all about when Jesus will come back and he will rule in power, in justice, and mercy. And we see this especially in verse 9 of the psalm. And so at, with those thoughts in mind, I'm going to read the psalm with you. And I want you to be listening for how it addresses this idea and this experience that so many of us are going through of heaviness. And so if you have your Bible or your device at home or coming up on your screen as you're worshiping with us online, there will be a button you can push and the text will come up on the side. Turn with me to Psalm 98. 
which is right in the middle of your Bible if you're using a hard copy. Psalm 98. And let me read you God's word and let's follow along together. The psalmist says this, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Three times he references the salvation available for all in those first three verses. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord. Verse 9 here. For when he comes to judge the earth, he will judge the world in righteousness and his peoples with equity. Pretty much everyone right now, to one degree or another, as a story of heaviness. And for many of you, as I hear your stories now, primarily over the phone or on Zoom and places like that, I can't even begin personally to relate because of some of the things you have or are going through because I've never been there myself. But I just come across a lot of people and just this generalized heaviness in our community. What does this psalm and joy to the world, that Christmas carol. What do these things have to say to us about navigating the heaviness that we have? You know, first of all, let me just say that there are many places in Scripture, especially as you're reading through the Psalms, where there's this invitation from God to be thoroughly honest with God about what we're going through. In fact, if you read some of the Psalms, there's just this invitation, an open invitation to be brutally honest with God. Do not hold back. Tell him exactly what's going on in your life. Tell him exactly how you're feeling and what you're experiencing. And the the idea is that he has broad shoulders and he can take it. And we bear in mind as well that he is an all-knowing God. He knows what you're thinking. He knows everything you've experienced. He forgets nothing. And he is ready to hear your story. And in fact, we're encouraged to do this because it's extremely helpful for us to acknowledge the hurts that we're going through. We don't see this residing in this particular psalm, but that's just a backdrop of scripture. Be reminded that it's okay to be honest with God. In fact, it's extremely helpful. This psalm, along with other psalms where you are invited to speak like that, then gives an invitation, an invitation to begin to shift that God will take us through and an invitation to come into unexpected joy. And so this Psalm 98 shifts the focus from the heaviness to being a worshiper. 
that one of the keys of shifting out of heaviness, not denying reality, but shifting out of heaviness, is to become a worshiper. And let's be honest. For many of us right now, that's the furthest thing from our mind. We're preoccupied with all that's going on in our life. And there's even this strong temptation for us to wallow in inappropriate or excessive self-focus. So I'm not saying that you deny what's going on in your life. I'm not saying that you don't have some level of interest in yourself, but it really can become excessive. And the psalmist understands that if we wallow at great, great length in self-focus. So having said all that, let me reread the six verses, the first six verses of the psalm, as you'll see this invitation to shift into the posture of jubilant worship. Listen to what he says again with that in mind. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. Many things God has done. The Lord has made his salvation known. He has revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God, available to every human being. God loves all the peoples of this world. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Worship, when it's done with a sincere heart, That's what's being spoken about if you read in John chapter 4, where it says we are to worship in spirit and truth. Worship, when it's done with a sincere heart, is one of the best defenses. And in fact, it is an offensive weapon against heaviness and inappropriate excessive self-focus. Let me say that again. Worship becomes one of the best defenses, and in fact, it becomes an offensive weapon against heaviness and excessive amounts of inappropriate self-focus. Now, we often come to worship, and we secretly think, we probably won't say this out loud, but we're secretly thinking of it like going to a movie or to a theater production. And as we sit in the movie or the theater production, we're thinking to ourselves, I'm here to watch. I'm here to be comfortable. I like these big chairs in the movie theater. I'm here to observe. I'm here to listen. I'm even here to be entertained. And if you give me all of that, I promise to be a good audience member. And if you, if you think about that with me for a moment, that inappropriate self-focus when it comes to worship, it leaves God entirely out of the picture. If we approach it like going to the movies or a theater production, Soren Kierkegaard proposed a very different model, a very biblical approach to worship like we see in Psalm 98. And Soren actually said this, 
Actually, God is the audience. It's all about him. And all we do in worship is directed towards God. All of it is to be focused on him, on exalting him, on acknowledging him, on honoring him. And so the way we pray, the way we sing, how we give, how we allow the message that's being preached from God's word to be not only life-giving, but life-changing. How we make choices every day in life. We make choices continually through the day. How we make those choices can be a very sincere expression of appreciation and worship of God. How we run our business how we love our family, how we give ourselves up for our family. All of these things ultimately can be expressions of worship to the God who's done everything for us. The power of Psalm 98 is it defies the idea that it's all about me. One of the songs we sing from time to time here, listen to the words. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. When we turn our eyes on Jesus, when we focus on him, it's not that these things around us disappear, but they just dim somewhat because of where our focus is. Let me reread verses four to six again. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the king. The psalmist says, I want you to bring everything to the party. I want you to bring everything to the celebration, all the instruments, and I invite you to shout, to express yourself to Jesus. And he writes in those six verses and in verses seven to nine as well about all of the things that we are to shout about and to celebrate this Christmas. In verses one to three, he focuses on Jesus being the savior available to all of the peoples of this world. That Jesus humbled himself, didn't grasp onto the things that were rightfully and fully his. And he comes to an earth full of people like me and like you who totally do not deserve what he did on our behalf, who did not earn anything that he did on our behalf. And he dies in our place and we celebrate this with the virgin birth, the coming of Christ. And he comes and he offers salvation based on his finished work on the cross, on his resurrection, on the fact that he's sitting at the right hand of the Father right now, waiting for the Father's nod to return. And it says in those opening verses in verse 3 that his righteousness, in other words, that because of his actions on our behalf, we are right in the sight of God. If we have received what Jesus did on our behalf, 
And again, it's an unearned thing. It's an undeserved thing. It's not something you can pay for or work up to. It's simply a gift that Jesus offers to us that all began with the coming of his birth and his soon return. His righteousness is available to us, and he offers it to each person. All the nations, it says in those opening three verses. And everyone is invited to make this very personal choice to receive it or reject it. No one can make the choice for you. You can't earn it. You can't pay for it. You either receive it or you reject it. And then we wrestle with this question. Why did he do all of this for me and for you? And in worship, we're gripped by some of these incredible truths. And we exalt and we sing to God and we pray and we give and we serve and we make choices that reflect the deep gratefulness we have to God for all that he's done. And then secondly, he says this, and we, we worship him because in verse 6, he's the king of the world. We often live with this incredibly misguided, illusionary approach to life that we are in charge. Or that some charismatic type of human leader ultimately is in charge. It's one of the great lies we tell to ourselves. And when we acknowledge God as king, the one in charge, some of the heaviness begins to dim. It begins to lift. Even if the circumstances don't change. When we know there's a king that has our back. When we know that there's a king who is in charge, who is at work the heaviness begins to lift. And then in verses 7 to 9, it says he is and he will be when he comes again, in verse 9, the judge of all the nations. When Jesus comes a second time, he will be a judge of all the nations. He will judge evil. And so that person that has done wrong by you, that person that, or persons that have hurt your family or someone you love, that person or persons that never owned their stuff, that seemingly just went on their merry way after cheating you or doing whatever wrong or even evil thing they did to you. And humanly speaking, quite honestly, it seems like there has been no or there will be no consequences for them. God will come one day and he will judge. And when it seems like life is totally unfair, and quite frankly, at times life is totally unfair, Jesus promises in verse 9 that he will judge evil, that he will make things right. He says this in verse 9. Let me read it. Let's sing before the Lord for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. Jesus will come, and this is completely out of our realm of experience, really, but he will be absolutely fair. 
Imagine having a judge, as good as many of our human judges are, but imagine having a judge who has absolutely pure motives, who is absolutely fair, who knows everything, has not missed one detail, who is completely just, and will make every decision absolutely right. That's something to celebrate. That's something to long for. That's something to shout for joy about. And we're then told in the book of Philippians that after this, every knee will bow. And if you have done this voluntarily already, that is going to be a glorious day. But even for those, and there's many of them that have steadfastly refused to do that and have rejected Christ, we are told that on that day, after judgment, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. There is much to celebrate about God. And so Psalm 98, when you read it with these things in mind, becomes in a sort of a, an all-encompassing way. We sing a new song. The earth shouts, the psalm says, for joy. The seas resound. The rivers are applauding, clapping their hands. Very powerful images. The mountains are like a choir, screaming out the glory and the creativity and the power of God. And everything this psalm says is created, including you, including me. Everything is created and meant to have its full expression in worshiping its creator. And so worship becomes a faith response. It becomes a faith response in the midst of the heaviness. And it's about singing the praises of God louder than all of the other noises around us. And the heaviness, even though circumstances may not change, at least immediately, the heaviness begins to dim. And with his help, we choose to celebrate, like the psalm says. We choose to acknowledge that God is at work, We choose to acknowledge that God is still on the throne, it says in verse 6. We choose to acknowledge that he will return, it says in verse 9. And when he returns, he will restore all things, in fact, and including the creation, to how it should be. And when we come at it this way, worship brings a lift to our life. It brings a lift to our soul. And I think this is what the psalmist is talking about in verse 1 when he talks about singing a new song. So the new song could be referring to singing a song that, they had, that the people of Israel had never sung before or that we've never sung before. It could be referring to writing a brand new song that's never been sung before. Or it also could be referring to the idea that because of this life of worship in the, in the, as we're in the midst of the heaviness, God imparts a grace, a sustaining grace, an invigorating grace that is so new in our life that we express joy to God. There's something unexpected about that. 
as we celebrate these unexpected things through the Advent season. There's something new. There's something unexpected. In just a moment, we're going to sing joy to the world again. I want you to sing it with this new perspective in mind. And I understand, I've done it too. If you're, wherever you're joining us for worship this morning, it's really hard to sing purposely and worshipfully at home. I invite you to do this, to celebrate at home or wherever you are as we shout to the God who is at work, as we Sing to the God who has not left as we sing to the God who is the king, who is doing beautiful things, who has come and will come again. I want to pray with you for a moment and then let's enter into continued worship as we sing. Let's pray. Father, we bow in your presence and we celebrate these things. The coming of Jesus It's an incredible mystery, but it's the fulfillment of the promise from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, that a virgin would be with child, a supernatural event, that Jesus humbled himself and became a man, the God-man, the spirit-filled God-man, and came and gave his life, lived among us, and he came on mission. And he went to the cross and he rose from the dead and he'll come back one day to judge the living and the dead. We love you. We celebrate what you've done, kind Father, in sending your son, Lord Jesus, in coming, in spirit of God, in pointing us, the scripture says, to truth, in pointing us to Jesus, in convicting us of our sin in allowing us to be born again, to have a relationship with you. We exalt you, King of kings, Lord of lords. We sing now with jubilant hearts. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.